Welcome back, everybody, to episode 118 of the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast. It's Friday. That means mm. we're coming at you again with another MMA weekend preview. Dominic, how are you doing, my friend? I heard you're in need of a golf partner right now. I'm in need of a golf partner. No, I <laughs> today we record on Thursday, reached out to six gentlemen. And none of them could go. So now I'm here recording with you. I mean, that's a pretty good trade-off, I'll be mm. honest. So, uh, yeah, man, hopefully sometime next week I'll get to hit the links and make a fool of myself <laughs> once again. But uh, I'm happy to be back here in the studio discussing some fights, breaking down some big news that came out this week. It's going to be a fun one to kick off the weekend. But, Noah, how are you? Doing great. You know, it's uh, a little unfortunate I had to stay after work today. Um, you know, you love it when, you know, okay, for people, I'm just going to explain this to give people Take some the background. Yeah. Hey, uh, my, uh, my schedule was Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. We got a half hour lunch in there as well. So um, don't you just love it when at 3 p.m. you're given this big assignment that's due <laughs> by this 8 a.m. the next day? Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, huh, well. I guess that means that I'm staying over. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm working from home, so I'm not like, you know, that I helps. can't be too I can't be too mad about it. But and plus, since I'm an intern, I found out from previously I'm only allowed to work 40 hours a week. Uh-huh. So, that means I'll get off early tomorrow on Friday, which, you know, that's nice. The, the silver linings. Yeah, of course. But nobody cares about my damn work schedule. They care about MMA, damn it. This is true. This is true. And we're supposed to preview the weekend for them. But before we do, we got to talk about some news that's happened this week. We have no fight announcements, but we start with the notorious Conor McGregor. He's back in the headlines again. (laughs) He's speaking out really for the first time since his fight last Saturday. Um, He's given a few different comments here and there, but – one we want to focus on here is where he talks about his injury and not just the injury that took place in the octagon. You know, the one that we all saw the, 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 the shin or ankle, whatever breaking, but it's come out mm. that Connor is saying that leading up to the fight, he had micro fractures on said leg and that that is the reason that it broke. And, the whole point of this comment is to diminish the value of Dustin Poirier's win and to, you know, I guess hype himself up for a potential rematch down the line. Now, Dominic, we already know how we feel about this because we've talked about it offline, but explain to the viewers why this is kind of a problematic (laughs) viewpoint to take. If you're uh, Conor McGregor and for his fans, even if you're a huge Conor McGregor fan, why you shouldn't, take too much stock in what he's saying here. Yeah. So, you know, first we just rewind back to the first Nate Diaz fight where Connor did lose and was so humble in defeat and, um, you know, gave all the props to Nate and how he wasn't prepared. And well, he gave a lot of, he was given a lot of credit for doing that. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Everybody was, around MMA yeah. uh, globe was giving him he so much credit a, for that. It was Dominic Cruz esque after he yeah. lost to go Cody Garber. And it really was. Mm-hmm. But ever since then, you know, we get the losses to Habib. I'm going to say MMA-related anyway. There was the loss to Floyd outside of the octagon where it was relatively well handled, but then said, come to MMA and blah, 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 which, you know, whatever. 
Uh, but then he loses to Habib. We know how the fallout went with that fight, and you know he was drinking up during the fight week and wasn't preparing fully in camp and wasn't mentally all there. Then we go to the first Dustin fight, and he was ready to box Pacquiao. He was doing boxing-focused training, was barely training MMA, and now we get this one. Um, now, again, could this be true? Yeah, maybe, but take it with a grain of salt because we've just seen things like this in the past from Connor. So um, either way, he was saying how – you know, ask Dana White, ask the UFC, ask the doctors. We nearly had to cancel this fight. But I uh, I just have a hard time believing it was at least that serious. Because you got to think, if there's a microfracture in a leg and it was checked out by these doctors, would they have really let him go in there? I mean, I know it is Connor at the end of the day. It's big money. $1.8 yeah. rumored to be pay-per-view buys, sure. which is insane. But that seems like it would be a pretty serious injury nevertheless to go into a fight with so if you're a connor fan take it with a grain of salt i don't want to throw too much hate around but i'm just saying we've had a couple instances in the past with some excuses post fight once connor loses maybe this is another one who knows my problem with this and um, i'm going to build off of what you just said um again i don't want to say that like we can't say for sure we don't know maybe this injury was happening as he was walking into the octagon and the lead up to the fight. Maybe the doctors really did check it out and he still pushed forward because, you know, they don't want to cancel this fight or postpone mm-hmm. it, whatever. Uh, maybe that's all true. Even if it is, even if it's all true, I still don't think you can put too much on these comments because people I know, you guys know from when we've talked, me and Dom have never trained in MMA. However, we know just from being passionate viewers of the product that nearly there's maybe one, two percent of fighters in the UFC or in MMA fights in general that when they walk in to the cage, to the ring, whatever, they're a hundred percent on fight night. It yeah. never happens. Yeah. It never happens. That's a part of the game, as you want, as I'll call it. You know, the game isn't it's not just the fight itself, unfortunately. It's the lead up, the training, trying to prepare your body best without over preparing yeah, it for eight is, to twelve weeks, which is kind of what this is a example of. Is like an over preparation, I guess you would call it. Um, a part of the game is the the media and on fight week, mm-hmm. you know, press conferences. You saw how much that helped Connor in his first Dustin Poirier fight, and how it really helped him win the featherweight title against Aldo. I'm not yeah. saying that to say that his skills did. His skills are why he won, but he was able to get his opponents compromised before yeah. the fight even started. Right. So this is all elements of the game, as I'm going to call it. You know, it's just the fight game. It's all, yes. it's, it's all encompassing, and this is just an example of that. So when Connor's saying, you know, and I get it, micro fractures are pretty serious. But we know that, especially coming off of Chris Weidman's injury, yeah. how bad that one looked, and obviously Anderson Silva before him. Um, Connors didn't look as bad just because um, I think it was just a, more of a placement reason. So the landing rather than yeah, the kick. Um, yeah. But regardless, it was still a bad injury. You just – I just don't put too much stock on these comments because nobody goes – I mean, I'm sure Dustin Poirier had injuries as he was walking in. Obviously, they might not have been as severe, but that's that's the chance you take. Maybe when Connor went in and fought Cowboy Cerrone – Maybe Cowboy Cerrone had 
an injury that really hampered him that he was considering dropping out of the fight, but didn't because he recognized the payday. And scale. you don't hear about it, you know. But you don't hear about it. Yeah. That's the problem. That's why I, I agree with you on your point that you know, we gave Connor a lot of credit back when he lost to Nate Diaz, and even to an extent when he lost to Floyd Mayweather in a boxing match. We gave him credit for the way he handled those losses. He took them in stride. He humble and victory very and defeat was very what he said. He yeah. talked a big game, but if he was bested, he yeah. would give the his opponent all the shine and the credit. the credit. But really, the majority of his losses have not gone that way. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just look at these last couple. I mean, the Habib one was really bad because we know all the we know all the bad blood with that matchup. But, you know, afterwards, talking about, you know, if there was no wrestling, what would have happened, which is such a just – that, I mean, that yeah. are, any argument that involves taking an aspect of MMA out of the sport, just you lose me immediately. Uh, the second Poirier fight where he, as you said, talked about he was preparing for a Manny Pacquiao fight. He basically blamed the entire loss on the calf kicks. How it, That was why he got dropped. By the, uh, I believe it was the right hand. The right Dustin, hand, yeah. Um, was because he was he was planting on that dead leg, yeah. As we called it, um, and then this fight, you know, he's talking about this injury and talking about how he was injured before the fight, and that might be true, but it doesn't matter to me. It does um, all in all still diminish your opponent's win, yeah, regardless, yes. and, right? And, and you know, I just think it's the wrong thing to focus on here. We, I want to focus on his recovery. Yeah. I hope Conor McGregor recovers well. I hope he comes back if he wants to, and can, you know, have a great fight with another opponent. Or, I mean, even if they, for some reason, if if, if timing works out and situational, and they do uh, the quadrilogy, <laughs> yeah, they the do saga. The, the, the saga with Dustin. I mean. <laughs> If it worked out that way, I'd be fine with it, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, man, that's what I want to focus on. I don't want to focus on if, you know, who, what, where, why. Yeah, why this, this fight happened. is now Just, over. It's over. Yeah. Dustin won. He won for the entire five minutes of that fight. It's done. I don't, I know you, like, sure, maybe if it goes to a second round, maybe Dust or Connor lands a good clean shot and finishes that fight. But it didn't go that way. Yeah, his 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 body did not hold up for him yeah. in a fight atmosphere, so he lost. I mean, that's You're just, right. and I and I hate to be so, I hate to be this way with Connor, because I know what a big deal he is. What, yeah, how much he does for the sport. You know how many eyes he brings. You know, even we've, we've noticed it in our own videos. You know, talking yeah. about Connor, there's always a big spike. Yeah, and talking about Connor McGregor. I'm sure this episode, we're talking about Conor McGregor yeah, right yeah, now. Exactly. I'm sure you'll see a spike in this one. But so I hate to like talk almost so negatively about him at times, but he's he's not making it easy. Here. Yeah. Right. You know, I want I want to, you know, give him credit. And I've tried and I've we've done it in the past. We've had entire episodes focused on Connor's achievements. And yeah, I mean, I got a damn picture of him right there on the wall, you <laughs> yeah. know. I mean it, it doesn't give me any, from like haters, you know what yes, I'm saying? Yes, That's I, how I, we're I, coming off. I said going into the third fight, you know, I Dustin and Connor, while Dustin may have outside of the octagon shown to maybe be a bit of a better person, <laughs> um, there's just more question marks around Connor's, I guess, uh, character. Yeah. Um, but regardless, I looked at them both as like 
I like them both the same as fighters. Like, I, yeah, yeah as fighters, they're both incredible, you know? Yeah, so I, I didn't really have a dog in the fight. Even if I, even like for you, I know you're a bigger, Dust, you're a big Dustin Poirier fan. Yeah. But you still, it wasn't like you hate like, Conor McGregor. Like had Conor won, it would have hurt. But at the same time, it's like, oh, well, we're in store for another huge Conor fight. He's going to get a title fight. That's a big yeah. deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it would have hurt for maybe a, for a day or two for yeah. you, but yeah. I know how you handle these moments. It's like, oh, thank you. After a couple <laughs> days, you give credit yes. where credits due, and you're like, okay, it, it's you know, you're you're still happy that like yeah. Connor would get that moment, you know, whatever. Yeah, and like when Francis beat Stipe, for example. Yep, so. that's a great example. Yeah. One where that that hurt me a little bit. We, that but, always hits us hard. So. But it's you know, you recognize how yeah. good of a person Francis has shown to be, and how much yeah. he deserved that kind of moment. And you're like, you know what? Hard to hard to Not be upset about it. <laughs> so uh, yeah, any other final thoughts on this? I mean, I'm really, I'm kind of ready to be done with uh, this, this chapter. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I and agree. I and you know, I, I still think it's worth talking about because this is kind of a last second addition to our episode. Was yes, yeah. uh, just because Connor just did it. Talk it came about out today. today. Yeah. Um, but it just you know I saw it and I was like, man, like at first I kind of just wrote wrote it off. You know, mm-hmm. I do that, and I'm sure you do it too. We'll yeah. see these like statements that we just don't agree with, or just like, "What is this?" But then you we see just, more and more talk about it. Yeah, and I just kind of brush it off. But then yeah. today, every That's time what I, I was, did, I was going through my you know MMA Twitter and stuff, and even Instagram, yeah. and I just kept seeing people talk about this, and they're like, "Well, this adds validity to what he's saying." I'm like, man. It doesn't really matter if he had the injury. Like, I don't care. So much of the focus has been on when did the the injury happen? Did it happen on a check? Did it happen on the elbow? No. Did did it happen just? Did it just happen? Yeah. Yeah. Was it stuff? Was it micro fractures happening on the lead up to the fight? I don't really think it matters. We'll never really know anyway. Like, I get why maybe people would want to know that, because if it was like a check or the elbow, then maybe it's like, okay, well, Dustin, you know, it was something Dustin did. But to me, it doesn't matter. He's still the winner. It's You guys don't have to. It's it's not going to change, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's the winner no matter what. You know, it's it's done. (sighs) We got all heated to start this episode. We got to bring it back. Bring it. Yeah, let's bring it back. We, you know what we just showed to Connor? We showed him no, no love. love. <laughs> Speaking of no love. What a segue that was. <laughs> Cody Garbrandt ain't got no love for these flyweights. <laughs> oh, my God. Our head, our headlines kill me. Now. Uh, we are good, yes. Here's the story. And this one's actually a little it's a little cold off the presses at this point. This one, It's surprising, but I like it. I got to well, say. It's, it kind of it came out, I think. He was right doing around. a live thing with Brendan Schaub. Well, yes, but Ali Abdelaziz and John Morgan mm-hmm. were actually the first. Abdelaziz was uh, tipped John Morgan oh, okay. this story, and that's kind of how it started. And then, yes, we'll get into Cody's comments on that fight companion with Brendan Schaub. Um, this happened, though, around – I think it was fight night. I think it was last Saturday. Yeah. So because of that, it kind of got – it came brushed out, under, brushed yeah. under the rug because of all the what was happening that day. Um, but we want to talk about it because we're we like Cody Garbrandt, absolutely. And obviously, he's had a rough go of things since he triumphantly won the bantamweight belt back in 20 the end of 2016 over Dominic yeah. Cruz. Um, he, since then, he has won in four, 
Um, his one win being over Rafael Sunsal, but he yeah. had back to back losses to TJ Dillashaw, um, lost to Pedro Munoz, and then most recently lost to Rob Fott in a somewhat competitive, but somewhat also one sided yeah, decision yeah. loss. Um, so coming off that loss, you know, it felt like Cody's kind of stuck at Bantamweight. You know, he's, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a high level fighter. He's like ranked six, I think, at Bantamweight. But it just seems like maybe the top of the heap just might be a bit too much for him at this point in that division. Yeah, even and, though he's um, still one of the bigger names. You know? Yes, yes, agreed. So we have been kind of – and he's talked about this before. Obviously, he was scheduled to face Davis and Figueredo for the men's flyweight belt back at UFC 255 yeah. before having to pull out of that bout due to his uh, ongoing COVID issues. So we kind of knew this might happen. Mm-hmm. But I really, after that Rob Font fight, I'm like, this this is Has, a it needs, it needs to happen. To happen. Yeah. And he has made his intentions known that he is dropping to flyweight. And now that's kind of where the story for John Morgan, that's his part, and Ali Abdelaziz's part, that's kind of where they end. Yeah, you know, That's all that really was said. However, Cody was more. on Brendan Schaub's podcast. Um, well, I guess it was a fight campaign. It was the first that Brendan's doing of these uh, – I forget what it's called. It's like Calabasas uh, fight companion type thing. They chill out, watch the fights. Yeah, and say like Josh Thompson, guys like that on there. And I, on there, um, you know, they started talking about Cody's next fight. And uh, I believe someone, maybe Brendan. I think it was Brendan, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, someone asked him about Kai Kara France, and he was kind of like, yeah. And <laughs> what's so funny <laughs> I think the follow-up question from Brendan was like, well, that's got to suck having to fight someone with the same name as your son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. But regardless, <laughs> so it looks like Cody Garbrandt is going to be dropping down the flyweight, and it looks like his first bout is going to be against Kai Kara France. Now let's start with the move itself. Okay. I'm a big, I'm a big supporter of this. I agree. Game. I like it. I like it as long as he's committed to it. And we'll yeah. see, you know, how does his body hold up cutting the extra 10 pounds? Because he says does, he's a pretty small. So he's, he, he has looked outsized in his. Yeah. Even the Rob book. Font one, I would yeah, believe. The Rob Font one was pretty uh, stark difference. Yeah. Um, so he feels like a guy who can drop 10 more pounds. Yeah. But we'll see how his body holds up to that. How he looks when he actually does it, but as on on the surface right now, I've been wrong about this when people moved weight classes. You know, Alexander Gustafson, the heavyweight. You know, yeah. like that. I like this move. Yeah, I and agree. I and I and when I first heard it, I was like, okay. What I care more about is what's his first matchup going to be, because if they threw him right at Moreno right away, I would. And I thought like, that's what they were going to do. I was like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. And even yeah. if they gave him like an. Askarov or a Figueredo right away. I'm like, that's tough. That's a tough first matchup for a guy who really needs a win right now. Yeah. But instead, you go with a top 10 yeah. fighter, a really good fighter, but Kai Kerfran, yeah. a guy known for his stand up, not known for his wrestling. Yeah. So you kind of know maybe what kind of fight you're going to get here. But what do you think of the move? And then also, what do you think of this potential matchup? I like the move to 125 simply because it does seem that Cody was at a bit of a stalemate at 135. So maybe this can freshen things up, but still maybe a future at 135 later. But maybe he'll look better here because, again, couldn't believe how outsized he was in that Rob Font fight. I was – as soon as the fight started, I was so utterly surprised. So 
I'm curious to see how he'll perform. He's talked about this for a long time, which leads me to believe that 10 pounds extra shouldn't be a huge deal. Uh, we didn't get a timeline on this, but as for the fight itself with Kaikar France, it was very surprising, but I do like it. I think it's a fun fight for the fans. It's a good stylistic matchup. It's a fight that Kai can win and have the biggest name of his career on his resume. And for Cody, it's a great welcome fight to 125 where he can also get a win and stake his claim in the top five of that division. So it really is a very surprising matchup, but a damn near perfect matchup at the same time. I, I mean, I'm very excited when this will happen. Maybe in the fall, late later on in the year, hopefully by the end of the year. So uh, I do enjoy everything about this move down and the proposed fight with Kai Car France. Yeah, see, we've we've really liked Kai Car France for yeah. a, a long time, and we've been, you know, really in the lead up to his fight with Brandon Roy Val. That was a really tough one for me because yeah. I love Raw Dog, but <laughs> yeah. then I love Kai Car France too. They're just they're both very exciting fighters, and Car uh, France has been around for a while at this point. Mm-hmm. But, but still always, so young. Yeah, still so young, still so competitive. Um, he's kind of the flyweight's version, and I know he's ranked quite a bit higher than this individual, but he reminds me of like a flyweight version of Drew Dober. Just mm. a guy who's always in the fight, but, Fun fight. He's, but he's been on the wrong side of a few losses. He's had some yeah. tough decision losses. He got stopped a couple times. Yeah. You know, it's He's not had a clean run. But he's been competitive, and he's been in very high-level, exciting fights. So for him here, the thing about it is his name is just not big. Right. You know, he's, he's a flyweight. He's not been really in like a – his biggest fight is that loss to Brandon Roy Val, but that was just – that was on the, the main card of UFC 252. But fight of the night, really, at least. It was fight of the night, which is probably the reason why people yeah. even remember it. If it wasn't for that, that fight might have been kind of written off. Yeah. So, what I like about this is it's going to give Care France a big placement on a card. You know, Cody being a big name, whether this is a co-main of a pay-per-view or a featured bout on a pay-per-view, um, or a um, potentially like a fight night headliner. Mm-hmm. Um, I totally think you could do either one or any of those three options I just said. Or um, either way, there's going to be a lot of eyes more than probably have ever been on Care France before. Exactly for this bout. So I like that if he's able to pick up a win or just even have a great fight. He gets a big rub. He gets a big rub for him. For Cody, this is the appropriate step back, even in a in a weight class move that he needs right now. You know, this is as good as Kai Kerfritz is. I do think at this point, even though it's different because he's in a different weight class, I think it is an appropriate step back from yeah. guys like Rob Bott, Pedro Munoz. Yeah. Um, so it'll really show maybe where Cody kind of falls into this division. I agree. What worries me is if Kara France comes in there and beats Cody Garbrandt, no matter how competitive the fight is. Yeah. I worry That's that a Cody, real tough spot. It, it is a tough spot, but I just worry Cody's going to go right back to Bantamweight, be like, oh, well, that failed. I just I want to see him committed to this move for at least a couple fights. I agree. I agree. But i um, looking forward to it. Now let's move on to UFC 266. <laughs> out of nowhere, just out of boom. Nowhere. Yeah. Things just got interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so we got our two title fights and our five-round feature <laughs> bout. bout. <laughs> That's right. Second time, baby. All of those are official for UFC 266. We've already talked about a couple of these, but we're just going to talk about it again because 
it all got announced together. It's official together. Might as well just put it all together. Yeah. So our main event of UFC 266 is for the men's featherweight title. Alexander Volkanovsky takes on Brian Ortega. The ultimate fighter coaches clash at UFC 266. Long awaited. Co-main event. This one came out of nowhere. It did. (laughs) The women's flyweight titles on the line is Valentina Shevchenko. Mm -hmm. Goes up against the deserving title challenger and Lauren Murphy. And our Ah, five-round feature. Here it is. (laughs) It's a Diaz again. But But the other one. (laughs) It's Nicholas Diaz. And he's going up against Robbie Lawler in their second matchup 17 years after their first one. We We were were six six years old. old. Yes. So where to start here? Let's start with our title fights. I actually think that might be the the lesser uh, (laughs) headlines here, which is kind of crazy. Um, We knew – I think we kind of knew Volkanovski-Ortega was going to be booked for this card or somewhere around here. Um, I'm glad to see they're getting a main event spot. I thought for a while, and I could be wrong, but I thought for a while people were putting this fight as a co-main under Blahovich Teixeira. From what I've seen, it looks like that one got bumped to the October paper. Right, so I couldn't remember if that was originally yeah. supposed to be September or – I was like in my head, I'm like, did I miss? I got so something? confused. <laughs> but I, in my, I'm like, I thought I, I could have swore I remember Blahovich to Shara yeah. being above that fight. But I'm glad to see that this is getting a main event slot because I think it deserves a, it. It's one of the most high level fights you can make at featherweight, and I think it, it's going to be a really fun bout. And yes. you have a whole season of the Ultimate Fighter, yes, to really hype it up. Why not put it exactly. as a main event? You know, yeah. So no questions there, right? Great bout, right? Yes. Co-main event, Shevchenko Murphy. and The queen. I've fallen into this trap, but just because, and I probably even have said, slipped up and said something of sorts on the podcast. So uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to course correct <laughs> my previous statements now. Right the wrongs. <laughs> just because someone on paper doesn't have a shot in hell does not mean that they shouldn't get a title shot. Right. And Lauren Murphy has earned her right to fight Valentina Shevchenko. Yes. And obviously, for the majority of us, do we think she has much of a chance? No. But we think that about everybody that fights Valentina. I'm sure if we were doing this podcast back when Ronda Rousey was fighting Holly Holm, we would have said something similar. Even though in in retrospect, now you go back and you're like, okay, well, Holly Holm, gold glove champion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But my point is that we don't think she has much of a chance here, but it doesn't mean she doesn't deserve to have a chance to show us otherwise. Exactly. So any other thoughts on that fight? Because it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, It did come out of nowhere, but it's the one I always thought was going to happen. It's the rightful number one contender against the reigning bullet, Valentina Shevchenko. Nevertheless, I'm always excited to see her fight regardless of who the opponent is. Right. Now for our five-round feature belt. Five, I don't you just love saying it? <laughs> I know. I'm glad I'm finally uh, catching on to that. I there for a yes. while. You had to keep picking me up. I kept going five round something or another. Yeah. If your last name is Diaz, you're getting a five round bout in the UFC. Yeah. That, so that's what the even? What, yeah, exactly. What even adds to kind of the the zaniness, I guess, of this whole announcement is that before, I guess, they finalized the top three bouts here. 
the first announcement of the day was Nick Diaz, Robbie Lawler, officially a five-round co-main event for UFC 266. And then like an hour later, all of a sudden they were like, oh, wait, actually we have a second title bout on there. Yeah, here's the whole card. (laughs) So um, that kind of added to some zaniness for this announcement. But regardless, what do you think of this bout? Because um, personally – You love it. Well, the stylistic fight, yeah. I love the fight. I do. I think for both guys, this makes sense. And now, (laughs) a lot of people were like, I kind of think that a lot of people are disrespecting Robbie without realizing it. Yeah. I understand Robbie's last few performances have not been the most inspiring. He hasn't looked the best. I, I completely understand that. But Nick Diaz hasn't fought in eight years, seven years at this point. Something like that. So to sit there and just everybody's like <laughs> assuming that these two are at the same level right now. And I mean, it's just, <laughs> I just think it's slightly disrespectful to Robbie because on paper, Robbie should be a big favorite in this fight, in my opinion, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of people are going to disagree with. But you have a guy who hasn't fought in seven years who's a great, he was great when he left. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. He's the man. Yeah. But you haven't fought in seven years. It's a long There's time. The guy who has been active. That entire time, even if now he's kind of has been a champion in that time. Yes, yes, you know? yes. So I feel like on paper, Robbie should be a pretty big favorite here. But if you're going to have Nick Diaz <clears throat> come back and fight, it needs to be someone who has a name to him, who is willing to engage in a very fun kind of stylistic, you know, fight. And I yeah. think this is the matchup. I don't think there's any more perfect of a matchup for. Nick Diaz at this point in his career. I know Robbie has been a little gun shy in some of his previous outings. I just don't see that happening here. No, not at all. Now tell me, again, I I already posed the question what your thoughts are on this fight, but I'm going to go ahead and add a second question on top of that. Tell me, is there anything based off of what I just said? Am Am I getting too excited for this fight? Should I be reserving my expectations considering where these two are at in their careers? No, I mean, well, I love the fight. Um, and I don't think you're getting overexcited. I think it's a great fight. It's a great matchup. This is the one you've been calling for ever since it was rumored of Nick to return. Mm-hmm. And you love Robbie Lawler, so you're just checking the boxes here. Two guys <laughs> that love to go in and be in fun fights. The fact that it is a rematch, 17 years in the making. You look at the paths that each man went on since that first fight. It's just craziness. So uh, I love everything about this. It does make sense. It's a perfect welcome back for Diaz a perfect fight for Robbie to still stay relevant. I just feel like a lot of people are forgetting about Robbie because he is number 15, or I don't even know if he's still ranked I anymore. I don't even know if he's ranked anymore. But, like, Robbie Lawler's an OG. These are two OGs fighting one another, and that's why I just love it so much. It's it's a good matchup to make. And this type of matchup that they made for Nick leads me to believe that, okay, he's coming back for a good time, not a long time. He's coming back for fun, big fights. He's not coming back to fight the top five guys in the world, make a title run, at least I don't think. But I think he's coming home to the UFC to have some really fun fights, entertain his fans, and uh, having him on that pay-per-view card is just going to bump up that buy rate. So I love everything about this card so much. Uh, Five rounds, three rounds, two rounds, seven rounds. I don't give a shit. I'm excited for it, and uh, that's all I can say, really. I don't think you're getting overexcited. It's worth the hype. I mean, it was the talk of Twitter for 24 hours straight. So, Yeah, I guess um, I did see some people that are like, 
I'm excited about this bout, but I'm trying to keep my expectations in check due to the fact that mm-hmm. these are two guys at the end of the day. Yeah, they're older. Are, They've been through past, it. Past their primes. Yeah. Um, but it is an interesting, it's an interesting thought, though, that for Nick Diaz, if he comes in here and dominates Robbie Lawler, let's say, uh, maybe even stops him again like he did in their first fight, um, kind of what that would lead for him. What kind of doors would that open for him? Because right now we assume that, like, these guys are, like you just said, good time, not a long time, right? Right. Kinda, these kind of fights are maybe all that's left for these two. And I think for Robbie that might be even more for sure just because we've seen him fighting – you know, top 10 level fighters and he's yeah. just getting beat pretty easily for Nick Diaz though. There's a lot of unknown, you know, he's state, he's put himself in great shape, but you assume a seven year layoff while that might be good to maybe heal up and, you know, your chin and all that, like maybe that's yeah. good for that. It can't be great for your just, right. it can't be great for your overall game. Yeah. And, we assume that like he's title shots and stuff like that is out of the question. But if he comes in here and beats the brakes off Robbie Lawler, don't be surprised if he's like one fight away from a title shot, Dom. Well, and I feel truthfully that inevitably he will face Jorge Masvidal. So that's I mean, what I feel, I feel like, the big plan is in my I head. I feel like if he beats Robbie, especially convincingly, he could go right into a Masvidal fight. He go right into a Masvidal fight, and if he beats Jorge Masvidal, now wait a minute, he he may unintentionally be fighting for a title after that. I I'm just saying, yeah, it sounds crazy, and maybe Robbie will beat him in the first fight, and that'll all be done. But we just there's a lot we don't know. We just don't know what kind of Nick Diaz we're gonna get in his return. But when you have the name value, that's how it works, man. So yeah, he's not that far away from. Right. title shot he's closer it than way. it may appear <laughs> yeah so uh moving on from there we're gonna actually get into the sort of the preview portion yeah of this episode and we're gonna start with uh bellator yeah. it's bellator 262 262 yeah i didn't write it on here so i kind of couldn't <laughs> bellator be pumping these pay-per-views out <laughs> so every event they have is a numbered event so. <laughs> yeah so uh bellator 262 we're gonna talk about the main event for the women's flyweight title Juliana Velasquez, the, I guess, newly minted champion, you know, coming off of yeah. her biggest win over Alimale McFarlane, who was the longstanding, uh, I think the inaugural women's flyweight champion for yeah, Bellator. Yeah, was champ for four years, I believe. Yep. So she gets her first title challenger here. And Denise Keyholtz. Mm-hmm. Now, what are kind of your thoughts coming in here? What are your biggest questions you want to see answered in this bout? Well, I got to say, Velasquez to win that belt from Elimale was quite impressive for all five mm-hmm. rounds. I mean, it was super one-sided, and she's undefeated for a reason. We say it a lot. She's 11-0, but 6-0 in Bellator. She doesn't have a ton of finishes, just five, but she's such a technically sound striker, and I really just feel like over the course of five rounds, she's hard to beat. That's the type of style that she has on the feet. Now, I've not really seen Denise fight uh, similar or as much, as Velasquez, but I will say she is six and one in Bellator. She's on a four fight win streak and she likes to finish fights. So she does bring the power into this one. Whereas Velasquez is more of the real technical, precise striker. And that mm-hmm. could always lead to a fun fight. Could 
turn it into a brawl. I'd say Denise's best chance would be to really force the pressure here uh, to become the new champion. I, I am excited for this. It's a good main event fight. And like you said, the Velasquez era, it really could turn into an era. An undefeated fighter here, only 34. I'm excited to see what she can do as champion. Yeah, what was so obvious to me in that matchup between Velasquez and McFarland was the size difference. Yeah. Velasquez looks huge for women's mm, flyweight. She's big. And in here with D Holtz, I think that's still going to be to her advantage that she has that distance. She's very good with her distance control and her striking at range, which could be a problem for Keyholtz. Now, if Denise can close that distance, she is a black belt in judo. Mm-hmm. So that could get interesting if she can tie up Velasquez, get her to the ground. But if I remember right, I think Velasquez is I think also she's a, black a black belt, belt in judo as well. Yeah. So this might be just another situation like, um, not to discredit Denise here, but this might be like Kayla Harrison, right? who's a black belt, going up against another black belt. Right. She just manhandles her because it's just the black belt is all you can get to, but you can still get better. You know? Yeah. Um, so I don't give Denise too like in my head, I really feel like Velasquez is going to make a big statement here, but I don't know. It's, it's an interesting bout. I'd be, I'd be interested to see how this fight goes. If it's more close quartered, if there's a more clinching involved, because we know kind of what Velasquez's strengths lie when the fight's at distance, but if yeah. this fight gets close quartered, even if she has that black belt in judo, is she the more is she the more technical judo fighter, or is mm-hmm. Denise going to be the one that's able to kind of manhandle her in the clinch? Yeah, I would be very interested to see how that goes. I agree, and you pointed out to Velasquez's reach and stuff against Alima Lay and how much bigger she was. She's three inches taller than Denise in this one, an inch and a half reach advantage as well. So the odds point to her favor in terms of a distant striking battle once more. And it's just hard to go against someone like Velasquez when she just dethroned the four-year reigning champion of Bellator, made it look easy. So I'm not saying Denise can't do it, but what we just saw from Velasquez was very, very impressive. And uh, if you look at you have Denise's record pulled up in front of you, don't you? I do, yes. She has fought in Bellator since, what, her second professional MMA belt? Yeah, she's 6-2 and two overall, 6-1 and one in Bellator. So there you go. <laughs> she literally was given a Bellator contract as an 0-1 fighter. Yeah, yeah. I think that speaks to maybe the expectations she's had in this promotion for a long time. And sort of the, Bellator has really kind of molded her into the fighter she is. you got to think that um, – if she were to win, that'd be kind of a pat on the back for the promotion. Like, look at what we were able to accomplish with someone who was so inexperienced when they came in here. Yeah, Bellator does that a lot, too, do you notice? Like, they have a lot of younger or, like, moving into their mm-hmm. prime ages, early 30s, late 20s, that have just molded in Bellator. And, like, they came in with, like, two or three fights. But now, I mean, you look at Patricio Pitbull, A.J. McKee, like, their whole careers almost, essentially – have been within Bellator. So they like to build up some of their own people. And Denise is another, you know, example of that. And now here she is ranked third in their rankings, getting a title fight. So, yeah, I mean, dare I say Bellator might do that better than the UFC. I think the UFC chooses a different method. You see that through the contender series and the ultimate fighter. They tend to let these prospects build themselves up at 
you know, these other promotions, whether it's like Cage Warriors, whatever. Yeah. And then once and they, then they grab of, them, then they grab them. But Bellator, I think, in order to compete, their mentality is, well, they let's grab them. Let's yeah. grab them before anybody even knows who they are. And yeah. Maybe they'll end up being the next huge star. Yeah, I mean, Austin you know, Vanderford, another example of that, an undefeated fighter. Also, one more note, I just got to add it. I yeah, said yeah. that Denise is on a four-fight win streak, but just to convince you all a little bit more about how fun this fight could be, all four of those in the win streak are via finish. Just saying. Just saying. Yeah. It could be That's fun. A, you don't see that a lot in those yeah. divisions. And, yeah. you know, we did that in just to – for Velasquez, that title win, even though it was a great win due to the fact that McFarland was a longstanding champion and whatnot, mm-hmm. pretty dull fight. I mm-hmm. mean, Velasquez did what she had to do to win, but there wasn't – I didn't see anything from Velasquez that told me that she's necessarily going to be this high-level finisher. She's a very technical fighter, very yeah. good fighter, but I don't know if she's ever going to really have that kind of – that finisher. finishing prowess. Yes, and I, and that does matter – Obviously, if you can get a fighter out of there in one round versus five, yeah, you want to do it, you know, exactly. Um, but I think we're going to transition from there into some more UFC talk because we do have a card this weekend for the UFC, yes, sir. Um, UFC, UFC Vegas 31. Nice, thank you. <laughs> and we have a we have a main event here that was not originally supposed to be the main event, this was supposed to be. Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez. Doesn't that hurt? Oh, wow. I, I <laughs> forgot until you just said it. Uh, However, because of that, this card has kind of been hurt pretty hard by the fact that that was such a big fight yeah. being put on a fight night. Without it, this card is a bit thin. But I'm actually very happy to see this main event. We love this, this main event. Yeah. Islam Makachev. Number nine ranked going up against Tiago Moises, who's ranked 14th. We know for Islam Makachev, we know what's kind of on the line here. This guy is the, the protege, the protege of Habib. He's mm-hmm. the next, the next era of the Dagestan fighter. Yeah. Um, the guys look almost perfect outside of his one loss where he got yeah. slept. I mean, it, which happens. Yes. Besides that, he's looked basically flawless. Uh, the win over Drew Dober was literally very my, good. Win. My, it's still in my, uh, in my mentions for performance of the year. Obviously yeah. we still have more time on that, but uh, the guys looked incredible, but all it is now is getting that, that convincing win against a high level opponent. Drew Dober was close to that. I mean, high level opponent, but now you're going up against Tiago Moises. Who's a, who is a top 15 fighter for sure. Tiago Moises has been on a nice run of his own. Yep. Nice win over Bobby Green, who was surging at the time. Um, he just came off a win over Alexander Hernandez. Who yeah, he's another, riding three in a row. Yeah, another good prospect. So I like this fight for Makachev. I think that this is, I will say stylistically, and I don't want to count out Moises. I don't think anybody should because he is no, a very I'm dangerous. Not. He's a very dangerous opponent. However, I think stylistically it's a tough fight for him going up against Makachev just yeah. based on where their skill sets line. Um, Moises being a jiu-jitsu fighter and he's going up against a wrestler. I know that's very – I'm diminishing their skill set down to one aspect there. There's more to it than that. Yeah. But when you have this wrestler, Makachev, who's so talented, such a bear, you know, you, you smash – as we say. <laughs> yes. And then you got Moises, who was a very good jiu-jitsu fighter, 
probably a little bit better stand-up than Makachev, but mm-hmm. not necessarily the kind of stand-up fighter to maybe I, I don't necessarily see him doing enough damage on the feet to make it I don't know. I don't necessarily see that being too much in play here. I could be wrong. Uh, I think Tiago may be the better overall stand-up fighter, but the power still goes to Makachev. We've yeah. seen him sleep guys on the feet before. Yeah. So, and then on the ground, obviously, you've got the amazing, you know, Sambo-style wrestling versus the jiu-jitsu black belt and Moises. So, yeah. it is a fun stylistic fight. The problem is anybody who matches up with Islam Makachev has a very bad stylistic fight at the end of the day. I mean, that's yeah. just the type of fighter that he is, the type of fighter that Habib was. Uh, Habib obviously will be there in the corner. So that's intimidation enough if you're Tiago Moises and you got to look across and see Habib in the corner. So I do think this is a good fight. They're deserving of the main event. I like that it's two prospects, you know, number nine, number 14. It's not like they're household names yet, but this is how you can build them. Give them a main event slot on ESPN to put on a show. And I really do think this is a fun fight, man. Islam is eight and one in the UFC, but he's won seven straight. Moises four and two in the UFC, but he's won three straight against good guys such as Bobby Green uh, and Alexander Hernandez. And we saw, as you mentioned, what Makachev just did to his biggest opponent yet against Drew Dober. Two guys with a lot to prove here, two young guns. I'm excited. I like what you just said about their win streaks and kind of their overall records. These are two guys surging right now. I mean, they're on oh, the, yeah. biggest, the biggest runs of their careers. And they collide. And, yeah, and for on paper, it just feels like it's a, a showcase for Islam Makachev is kind of yeah. what I was getting at. And that's cool and all. And I, I think that he is, should be the favorite. He, he, he does likely have an advantage in most aspects here. But Tiago Moises is a dangerous man. He's a guy that's been kind of counted out on this win streak he's been on. I personally thought that Bobby Green, even though it was a very close fight, I remember going into that, I thought Bobby Green was going to get a huge win there. Well, he was on a huge momentum streak himself. Yeah. And then Tiago kind of comes out of nowhere and beats Bobby. And then you fight. have the Alexander Hernandez fight. We all know Hernandez is a guy that's had expectations for a long time. Yeah. So going up against Tiago Moises, who, yes, he beat Bobby Green, but – you know, still a guy that's overall not super. I guess and in, in that in that fight, it was like okay, he's not super high level still. Yeah, but he goes in there and beats pretty handedly a good prospect in Alexander Hernandez. So this is definitely a big step up for him, but a dangerous opponent, being that he has been counted out kind of every step of the way here. Yeah, and once you have two guys that are so good on the ground going at it in different aspects, wrestling versus uh, jiu-jitsu. It can get interesting if you have some guy sprawling and all of a sudden yeah, all of a sudden a choke gets applied. It, it happens. You know? It's true. It's, um, but I think the biggest factor in this fight that's interesting, the the biggest, I guess, what if in this fight, the, the thing I'm most interested to see is if this fight gets to rounds four and five, I was about to say that. I figured that's what you were going with because this is a new, this is a new territory for, for both, both guys. guys, exactly. And for Islam's style, it'll be hard to keep that up for yeah, five unless you're rounds. Habib. <laughs> but that's the thing is is he is he really Habib yeah. in that aspect too? Right. Is he just going to be able to grind through rounds four and five without even getting too tired at all? Yeah. Or is he going to slow down? 
Yeah, because I've really seen both they, of them. Sorry, go ahead. I mean, just final point being that Tiago, I think his style can hold up over five rounds much easier than Islam's can. Yeah, I mean, we've seen both of these guys more often than not in the UFC go three rounds of the full 15 minutes and look good, not really gas out. I mean, um, Islam got the finish in round three against Dober yeah. for what it's worth. And uh, the three-fight win streak that Moises is on are all via decision. So 15 straight minutes, three straight times. So we've seen him hold up for 15, but adding that 10 extra minutes, the championship rounds, the attention around you being in that main event, it's going to come down to how the pacing of those first three rounds will be because I think both guys will hold up well, but maybe that goes toward Moises' favor because with a style like Makachev that's so wrestle-heavy, if he comes in with the same mindset of just going all in for three rounds, then he gets back to the corner. He's like, wait a minute, I still got 10 more rounds to go. Maybe that could favor Moises as it stretches out. I like that point. You said 10 more minutes, it's not 10 more rounds. 10 more minutes, yes, sorry. Sorry, I, I just – Not I 10 just more rounds. Like, it's not a 13-round fight. This ain't boxing, homie. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> 10 more minutes. No, uh, but, yeah, it's 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 that's the biggest, I think, factor in this fight. I mean – Islam or Tiago might end up getting a finish before that. Yeah. But I really think this fight's going to go into those championship rounds, if not the entire 25 minutes. Yeah. And if it does, who that's really where a lot of these fights, you know, that round three, it happens time and time again in five round fights. That's the round. That's, that's the so deciding many, factor. So often in these close five round fights, round three mm-hmm. shows to be the most important where things start to shift. So it'll be interesting to see how these two hold up if it goes that long. Well let's, get into the, let's get into the co-main event because oh boy, it's a big difference from our main event. Our main event showcasing mm-hmm. prospects, guys that are really looking to make statements, as the headline said. Here, we got some OGs, as I call them. Yeah. Uh, and Marion. Marion Renault. Marion Renault. The Belizean brawler. I keep wanting to call her Marion just based on the way it's spelled. So thank you for I knew you you corrected me before we started, so I wanted to make sure. Marion Renault, who's ranked 12th at Bantamweight, going up against the returning She's Misha back. Tate after five years. She has returned UFC 205 in New York. Yeah. Last time that we saw her in a losing effort to Raquel Pennington. Now the difference here, obviously, we got we got a couple OGs here. We, these are girls that have been fighting in the UFC and professionally in MMA, really as women's MMA started to take off. You know, yeah, especially know, we, for Misha, man. Yeah, I mean, Misha, the biggest rivalry in women's MMA history is probably her and Ronda. Oh yeah, and that just that dates her immediately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ronda is so much in that box of like 2013 to 20. 16 it's like her era yeah i'm misha started professionally in 07 crazy yeah. and then for marion she's 44 years yeah, old 44 years fight. old man so i love this matchup for a couple reasons because we've seen the growth in women's mma you know i started watching at ufc 199 I have, seen a, even. It's I have seen a huge growth and le- the, the women's divisions have come through leaps and bounds, like yes. 
the amount of technical prowess that a lot of these women have now is just it's very much on the same level as the men. Yes. But for women like Mari and Renault and for Misha Tate, they obviously Marion's still been fighting, but for Misha, she kind of left right when that new wave, if you want to call it that, started to come in. I mean, she got put out by Amanda, who essentially led that new wave. So, Mm -hmm. and then for Marion, she's been on a four fight losing streak. Yep. And I think that kind of shows that maybe the game is caught up to her skill set. She hasn't been able to quite adapt with the times, if you will maybe due to her age or other factors, but Mm -hmm. she's just not quite been able to hold up. So I like this matchup because it's really going to be a test for Misha Tate. Marion Renault has made it pretty clear. This is her last fight. She's retiring. It's her retirement fight. So even though she's ranked 12th, sure, if Misha wins, that'll be a great way to kind of catapult her already into potentially a top 10, top five matchup next. But really, this is a test for Misha to see where she's at. Yep. If she went, comes in here and easily beats Marianne Renault, then you might th- you might have something with her. Yeah. But if she comes in here and either struggles to win or gets beaten, then it's like, okay, it was nice, this whole homecoming thing, but the game's just passed her by. Right. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's a fair assessment, 100%. And, you know, for Marion. With it being her retirement fight, having her son in her corner for the very first time ever, a fun little tidbit on there too. You got to figure a lot of motivation here because someone that, yes, is ranked 12th, but a lot of people don't really look Marion with much, you know, aura and awe. She once was all the way up the ranks to number seven before the skid, but still, being that it is her final fight of her career, 44 years old, she's welcoming back one of the biggest names in women's mixed martial arts history. If she goes out here and puts a stop to the comeback of Misha Tate, that's quite a big deal. And on the flip side, for Misha, she's coming in with a lot to prove. She's still only 34, which is good for Misha in terms of having that layoff. Yeah, crazy. It's crazy. Still only 34, which is good. She seems to be, at least in the looks of things, in the best physical shape in terms of leanness and such that I've seen. She seems very well mentally prepared. She's talked a lot about that in her YouTube and in her press conferences, how she was never quite all there with her personal life stuff. Don't want to get into that. But nevertheless, being that maybe we didn't get to see the best Misha that we could have, but still she became champion, does at least add a little bit more excitement to this return for her. And should she come out and make a statement, it is a big deal because similar to how we talked about with Nick Diaz, name power goes a long way. Misha's been there and done that in this division, been the champion. So, although it's Marion Renault, four fight losing streak, number 12, should she win, I don't doubt for a second she could be fighting like a number five in the next fight and potentially be two more wins away from fighting Amanda again for the title. So, there's heavy implications on both sides. And, you know, don't get it wrong for Marion. Yes, it's her retirement fight. You don't want to go out on a loss. She's going to want to come out and bring it and just do everything go all out to get one final win so there are heavy implications not just for misha but also for renault in this one yeah i mean if she if renault wins here i mean that's that's a great send-off because yeah, the swan she's, song she's had a good career but it's been relatively unassuming or uh, right it's been kind of a it's just been kind of a blink and you miss it type career yeah. you know She's obviously climbed up to number seven. She's had good wins, 
but yeah. nothing too memorable. Yeah, but a win over a returning Misha Tate. That's a great way to send yourself into retirement. Oh yeah. Now for Misha, I do think uh, what you said there about her next fight, if she wins this, if she wins it convincingly, I do think that's an interesting thing to touch on because this women's bantamweight division, there's no question it's been in such a stagnant place. Yeah, it's such a perfect time for her to return. It really right. is. So it's been very stagnant for a while. And I'm sure does she under I'm sure there's that's calculated. Yeah. That um, it's like, okay, this division need like it's a good time to come in when a lot of these contenders are either unimpressive or have already lost to Amanda yeah, or something. <laughs> so for Misha, I don't think she's gonna have any trouble finding opponents if she yeah. wins this. 100%. Even if she wins it convincingly, because she is a huge name who a lot of these women at the top of the heap are trying to prove that they should be next for Amanda, yes. but they need a big win to kind of catapult them into, because we know Amanda's not really quite able to carry a pay-per-view on her shoulders. Mm-hmm. And some of that's due to her. Some of it's due to the fact that none of her opponents are really, you know. Tickle the fans. fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure if her and Cyborg had main evented or if her and um, I'm trying to think of. I was gonna say her and Duran to me, but I don't know if that one would have done too much better. Basically, my point is that these fights where you at least somewhat believed that Amanda could lose, I think they would sell better than these. What you're getting when it's like, right? You know, a lot of people. You know, I I don't want to get into uh, Darren Rovell and how he doesn't know shit about fighting, but yeah, you know, it's it's became this annoying topic of her inability to sell whatever happened to appreciating greatness yeah it's just it's just whatever man it's not her fault that yeah whatever she's levels above whatever it's it's misha tate that i'm talking about i'm yeah you're getting hot so i don't think she's gonna have trouble finding opponents after this fight because for one these women want a big name on their resume to push themselves into a title fight with amanda but two, a lot of these p- women are probably going to still think she's very beatable, despite yeah. her big name. You know, she's still cu- even with the win over Renault, even if it's impressive, that's still going to be in the back of our minds. Like, okay, Marion though, four, Marion, four fight losing streak, forty four years old. Yeah, you know, maybe she's good enough to hang with the with the top fifteen. But is she really much better than that? That would be the question in my mind. Right. Moving off this fight, so. We'll just have to see how it kind of goes. Um, I think this will be a very interesting talking point on Monday's episode once we see how the fight actually goes. Yeah, and then it's like we'll have some clear directions for what's next for him. Right. Let's get into the rest of this card because there's only a couple, a couple fights. We got a couple fights we want to talk about. Let's start with our featured bout. <laughs> we love, love these that. featured bouts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jeremy Stevens is back. This is a violent fight here. <laughs> Jeremy Stevens, man, love him or hate him, and I think more people are starting to hate him <laughs> after his incident with uh, Drakkar Close. Which, come on, man. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was wrong. What are you doing? It's stupid. He's but, always in fun fights. Is where you were going. Always, <laughs> yes, yes. But I'm still a Jeremy Stevens fan because the guy's always in fun fights. Yeah, I get it. He's got the most losses in UFC history. Right. He has more losses than wins, actually. But there's yes. a reason that guy is st- a high level. He fights fighter. killers. 
every five. I don't know if he's even ranked at this point, just because of I don't know. I I know he was not too long ago, but he might not be anymore. Regardless, Jeremy Stevens is a tough test for anybody. Yeah. Yes, I know he's on like a four fight losing streak or a five fight. Um, four out of five or something. Yeah, he had a no contest with the Rodriguez. Yeah. But if you go through those fights, I mean, his fight with Zabit, that was a close fight. A fight mm-hmm. where he really came on strong against Zabit. Yair Rodriguez, that was a fight of the night. Yeah. Yair clearly won, but Jeremy was never out of that bout. Mm-hmm. Calvin Cater elbowed that man to death. Yes. But Jeremy was still in that fight up until the point where he gets beat. So my point is, is that Jeremy Stevens is a tough test for anybody. Obviously, at this point, that guy's never going to fight for a title. He's really still in the UFC because he puts on really fun fights Right. And he's a good test for a lot of these young up and comers at this point. Yes. And that's gonna be the case here is he's going up against I want to take a guess that this name is pronounced Matos Gamrot. Now Gamrot is only one and one in the UFC, coming off a big knockout win over Scott Holtzman. Yeah. But 18 and one overall. So his first fight in UFC was his first loss of his professional career, but he's been able to bounce back. The guy has some really high expectations. Yeah, and so I think that 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 matters here, but this is a huge jump up. It's a big test against Jeremy Stevens, man. Because Jeremy's just so tough. And I don't know what the odds are going to say on this one. Maybe people are. Maybe Gamrot's going to be the favorite due I to think his, he is. Yeah. his his record and you know kind of the expectations. But man, if you're a bet man, and I'm not giving betting advice, I want to make that clear. <laughs> but Jeremy Stevens has got to be like if he's an underdog. Yeah, you might if you have some money to spare, you might throw it on a guy like that who's who really. I mean, this is one and one in your UFC career, and, and you're already you're fighting Stevens. Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> yeah, I know that you were seventeen and zero outside the UFC, but. And, yes, I know that a big thing that we talked about on this podcast is undefeated for a reason mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's not the UFC. Yeah. You went 17-0 outside the promotion. You're 1-1 one one here, and now you're going up against Jeremy Stevens. That's tough. <laughs> I don't want to blast you on the spot here, but do you happen to know the UFC loss that Gamrot had? Because I'm totally I don't blank. Remember, I don't, so I don't, while you talk about your thoughts on the fight, I'll look it up. Fair enough. Um, this is going to be violence. This is potential fight of the night territory here with this one. Steven still carries the power regardless. Like Noah was saying how he's on the losing streak, the skid, but he's always going to be in the fight. So a guy like Gamrot, I feel like you have to put Stevens out in this fight because if you're letting him hang around with the opportunity to land the shot, he could very well do that. Against a younger guy that's still newer to the UFC, I will say, and we kind of talked about this uh, last week, I forget which fighter it was. Oh, it was uh, Ilya Tuperia. This fight mm-hmm. kind of reminds me of his matchup with Ryan Hall, where the UFC probably just believes so much in a high ceiling for Gamrot that although it's only his third UFC fight, they're putting him in a featured bout on a main card of a fight night against a prominent name in Jeremy Stevens. Yes, he doesn't have a ranking, but should he come in and beat Jeremy, he's probably going to fight a ranked guy next. So I think it says a lot about what the ceiling could be, what the UFC believes uh, in Gamrot to be with his skill set. So I think it is a very fun fight. It's a perfect test for Gamrot early on in his UFC career. And should he fail, it could just be right back to the drawing board because it is a guy like Jeremy Stevens. 
So I really do like this uh, matchup for a multiple reasons. And should Stevens lose, he finds himself in a really, really poor spot. But I don't want to talk too much on that uh, until Monday because you never know. He could come out and put away the new guy. So so the, the one loss for Gamrot in UFC was a split decision loss on the uh, Ortega um, Korean zombie card. And it was against Guram Kutaladze. Okay. Who's 12 and 2 and is undefeated in the UFC. So, okay. definitely, like, for all we know, that Guram is going to end up being a bit, someone, a big deal right. at some point. And then that loss isn't going to look too bad. Well, and, then he even went on to fight a bigger name, though, after the yeah, loss. Yeah, I mean, Scott you know? Holtzman is at least a guy that's more experienced. If you yeah. Know, a guy so. who's been around the UFC for a while. Um, I think for me, the question here. Because we know if Jeremy Stevens is winning this fight, I know how it's going to go. It's going to be a kind of rock'em, sock'em type style fight where both guys land some really good shots, but Jeremy just that that kind of killer. One nasty one. Yeah, just, just the power and really that, that mindset that he's always got, that killer be killed type thing, yeah. is able to put him away. I'm very interested to see if Gamrot comes in here and wins, how does he do it? Is he aggressive? Mm-hmm. Is he more... Is he more at distance, more of a control style? I'll be interested to see how he sort of treats an opponent. Is. How yeah. does he treat an opponent like Jeremy Stevens? Because Jeremy is very much good everywhere. He's mm-hmm. he's really a tough, great leg kicks, by the way. Got to watch out for those. That yeah. guy's got some nasty leg kicks. And that's just my my biggest question is for, for um, Matos Gamra in this fight. Where do we see him take this fight in order to mm-hmm. get a win if that's what ends up happening? Does he get him right at Jeremy Stevens and look to put him away early? That would be impressive. Or does he keep him at distance, control the, the outside, pick his shots? Kind of Might not be a bad idea, idea even to try and grapple. And then you have the idea of grappling. Not that he, any of, either of those are bad ways to win. It's just more – it'll just be worth noting and – Based off of that, be worth kind of maybe estimating where he's at. You know, based on, I mean, style adds, there's style points in the UFC. Don't get it yeah. twisted. A, a, an early knockout might get this guy into the top 15 a lot quicker yeah. than a boring decision win. You know what yeah, I mean? against, against a guy like Stevens, you kind of just have to pick do I want to get into a firefight? Or do I want to play this intelligently? That's kind of what it comes down to against Jeremy. And now we got our last fight here. This is also on the main card. And Dominic, I know this is the fight that you were specifically asking for, so I'm going to let you speak about it first. It's Gabriel Benitez going up against Billy Quarantillo. This is a big test for Billy Q here, coming off of that loss he had to Gavin Tucker, simply because Benitez has so much experience. I mean, he's got 30 fights. He's got 10 fights in the UFC. It's a guy that loves to finish. I mean, he's finished 18 out of his 22 wins. He's still only 33, which is crazy. And Billy Q has also finished a lot of his fights, 11 out of 15. And I think it's a really fun stylistic fight because Billy Q is a guy that we love on this show. We love some Billy Q on here. And I think he has good potential. He's a contender series guy, and you know how we feel about them. So the UFC believes in these people, and he is 3-1 and one in the UFC, and granted that only loss is to an undefeated, or once undefeated, I should say, Gavin Tucker. <laughs> um, but for Benitez, this is a guy that's always in violent wars, and if he brings the fight to Billy, 
we saw how when Gavin brought it to him, he was just kind of wilted under the pressure that Gavin brought toward him. It was a lot of grappling in there too, but the, even the striking was very aggressive on Gavin's part. So if Benitez comes out fast and furious with the hands, Billy's going to have to adapt very quickly, or it could be a quick night out for him because this is a very experienced vet. But should Billy win and adapt and make the proper changes, come in with the right game plan, it is a big win and a good step in the right direction coming off of a loss. Yeah, I love Billy Q. We, we've talked about that multiple times. We've definitely been a big fan of his since he kind of made a splash in the UFC. But you know, the wording of this might sound a little harsh. It's just the only word that's coming to mind. But I don't want it to – I'll try to <laughs> explain a little more because I don't want it to sound as bad as it's going to. Billy Q kind of got exposed by mm-hmm. Gavin Tucker. And when I say that, I don't mean like um, that Billy's not as good as we thought he was or that uh, he can't bounce back and come back. I just mean there we. I think that um, there was a pretty big hole in Billy's game that just had kind of gone amiss in most of his fights. But yeah. then against Gavin Tucker, it was just heightened. It was very obvious what that hole was. And that was just that Billy Q could not avoid the clinch and could not mm-hmm. keep that fight at a distance at his range. That was – it was so disappointing. He couldn't control the pace. It was disappointing because even though Gavin Tucker is a great opponent, I mean, a guy – very tough guy and argue should have been the favorite going into that fight. It was a big step up for Billy. Yeah. But – for that to just be the the game plan, the the over and over and over, you know, just clinch up, and I mean, it just Billy just was very uncomfortable with it. Yes, he didn't react very well to when he was put in those positions that are very common in MMA. So that's kind of what I need to see more here is, um, as he's still growing and improving, you know, he's still a prospect even though he's thirty two. I want to yeah, say 32, 33. I have it actually. So, he, so for him, he's still in his prime, but he's at the tail end of his prime typically. Yeah, 32. For, 32. So, he, for typically for an MMA fighter, I look at the prime as like 28 to 32 range. And obviously, that can extend a couple of years or be lessened a couple of years, depending. But I, 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 I feel confident for Billy that this is sort of the tail end of his prime. So he doesn't, even though he does, he needs to keep improving and stay active and take fights. How much more time before you know? How many more fights before I'm like, okay, this is just as good as he's gonna get. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're getting closer to maybe we want to believe, admit, that, yeah, at that. And um, I still think I'm hoping that we'll see quite a big improvement in this performance. But a guy like Benitez, who is also a very experienced veteran. Um, guy who's fought the UFC for a long time long doesn't time. have the clean, doesn't have the cleanest of records, but he's fought good opponents here and mm-hmm. there. Um, and like you said, is always kind of looking to take your head off, put on yeah. an exciting fight. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Billy kind of adapts to those elements because Benitez is no guy to be. He's no. Uh, he's not a guy looking to be a stepping stone or a yeah <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I like that that fight's getting a little main card shine, too. Just yeah, I think there's a good chance we're looking at a fight of the night type. Yeah, I uh, agree. With that one. But that's going to wrap it up here for our MMA weekend preview. Let us know your thoughts 
on these fights. And um, after they happen, let us know what you thought about them, and we'll put it on Monday's episode. You can leave us a voice message um, in our link tree, which is in both of our social media bios. You can see the link tree, and there's a link there to the anchor page for leaving a voice message. But we'll plug all that now. But just <laughs> figured I'd get, get out in front on that one. But uh, Monday, we will have our recap of the whole weekend. All these fights we talked about, we'll give our thoughts on kind of how they went. Um, anything else that kind of happens, any big uh, finishes or just big deal, big things that happen in these fights that we, for Bellator or for UFC, even if we didn't talk about the fight here, we'll talk about it there. Um, and any news that comes out, obviously, it will be a three-episode week, so Wednesday we will be back with another special episode. Mm-hmm. But until then, Dominic, tell mm-hmm. the good people where they can find you on social media. You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Deucely14. More importantly, find the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at BAJ underscore MMA podcast. And for me, if you go to Instagram or Twitter, I am at NTBaker underscore. There's a link in my bio on both of those to the link tree, which gives you the links to all the platforms the podcast is on, along with social media platforms. So that includes the Below Average Joe's Instagram and Twitter, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcast, and our anchor page. Uh, leaving a voice message link is on there. And if you want to become a supporter of the podcast, that is on there as well. So be sure to check those out. Thank you to, to Anchor for sponsoring today's episode. Of course. But that is it. We're out. We're going to see y'all on Monday.